It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Hello there, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msoce, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Sosey. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes, and we have a blog, which someday we'll update at, filmsociology.tumblr.com. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes... Film sociology becomes stage sociology, and sometimes they kind of blend one in the same because it's all arty and it's all good. And sometimes a film that I think is opening this week winds up getting pushed to next week, and this has happened again for the second time this month. Bad for the show? Nah, good for my guests who are in studio. Uh, as a part of Indie Fringe, um, first off, uh, my show, so I have to plug my family show first, Elsie uh, and Francis and the Fairies is happening over on the main stage at the Phoenix, uh, depending on when you listen to this, Saturday night at 9 o'clock and Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. So that is happening. But uh, along the way last weekend, I came across a show called Spaghetti Western. With, I'm sorry, Spaghetti Western 3D. Very important. you know, cause, And you know you don't to see you don't have to have seen 1D or 2D in order to get the subtle nuances of 3D. And uh it's a show that's coming from Evansville and it was a lot of fun and I have them in studio with me now to talk about the show, to talk about spaghetti westerns and whatever else comes up. And I think there's more guests in here. It's like the the cabin scene in uh, a night at the opera. Mark's brothers <laughs> thank you ladies. They laugh. He's old and trying to be funny. That's good. So um see right there. All right, I need let's start to let's start over here and let's verbally sign in and uh, tell us who you are and what you do with the show. I'm Mark Rigney, and I'm one of the writers, and I've been calling myself the showrunner. So I'm a producer, and a, they call me a fearless leader, but I think they're kidding. Oh, of the, of the Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, type? I'm going to plead the fifth, because I've never seen a complete Rocky and Bullwinkle episode ever. Oh, really? What a shame. <laughs> wow, getting shamed. That's funny. <laughs> Pop culture shame right there. All right, let's keep going. Hi, I'm Grace Theobald, and I am an actor in the show. And uh, and to say, because y'all have multiple roles, so tell us tell us who you are, and we'll we'll, we'll figure we'll figure out this uh, we'll figure out the storyline in a little bit. All right, okay, got to start from the beginning. Uh, so I'm Mr. Leone, and then who am I next? And then I'm Posse member number one, and then I'm townspeople, which consists of Mrs. Watney, Drunk Riley, and a bunch of other colorful characters. And the Mike Moore, hello. And then after townspeople, after townspeople, oh my gosh. We'll move on. So if it comes to you, let us know. I'm Shay Guthrie, and I'm in the cast of the show. And at first, I am the widow Bronson, who has <laughs> lost her husband and is trying to hold on to her well. That's not a metaphor. And then... <laughs> wow. I, nice. A lot of single entendres here. Right. Um, then I'm posse member two. And then... And then I am... <laughs> what Luigi. happens next? Oh, I know, I'm it's Luigi. so hard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm Luigi, the barman. And then I am a well digger, two. And then... <laughs> this time it's personal. That's it. That's all of it. All right. Those are all my characters. I'm another well digger. <laughs> I just remembered. Thank God. 
And then I also play the widow of Leone, and then I'm a hired gun. We knew that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Jessica Hughes, and I'm the stage manager, but just a shout-out to the people who aren't here. I'm the, I guess you could call me the production stage manager, so I just started with everyone for the run of the show. But there are a number of very important people who put everything together for me very nicely, and it's Paige Ward mm-hmm. was the stage manager in Evansville, and Kit Bula? Kit Bula. Okay, thank <laughs> you. Um, he was our sound designer and really made some wonderful cues so that I get to be the actual gunshots and uh, horse with no name references, so that's a lot of fun. Yes, and Job-like patience. Always. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sammy Joe Johnson, and I mostly play the villains in the show. So I'm Sheriff Tinstar, and I'm Mr. Morricone, and Frank Henry, who is building the rail lines and the, the menace. And I also play another widow. There's multiple. So bad and ugly. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm good, too, sometimes. <laughs> She's just drawn that way. <laughs> I'm Brogan Lozano. I play the character of Luna, and I also play El Diablo del Desierto. And that's very exciting, who's basically the outlaw who lives outside the law. Very, very fun. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. So uh, so just so folks know, uh, depending, of course, on when you're listening to this, when when is the uh, final weekend performances for you ladies? We have a show Saturday at 4.30 and one on Sunday at 3 p.m. At? At the Indy 11 Theater, which is on 719 East St. Clair Street. All right. Now we'll get to the we'll get to the show in a little bit, but I do want to make a couple of film notes because you know it is a film show. Um, first off, kudos that the uh, the film Hell or High Water is getting a wider release. Uh, speaking of westerns, modern western with uh, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and yes, we wish all bank robbers looked like Chris Pine or Ben Foster. Yes, we do. Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Stop surrendering. Uh, and and of course Jeff Bridges is in that, and Gil woo. Birmingham. So wow, woo, good. Uh, anyway, that is getting a wider release. So hopefully more people will check that out uh also new in theaters this week this weekend here in town uh we have don't breathe which is getting uh actually really good reviews for a horror it's apparently smarter than your average horror film uh what happens it's a home invasion thriller but what happens when the blind person you're breaking into whose house you're breaking into turns out to be uh have turns out to have more of a killer instinct than you do so that is scary i want to see it so badly because usually horror films don't aren't scary but that one looks so oh, I'm the exact opposite so, scary. <laughs> so you don't you don't see the thrill of being scared oh i love it oh i love it's fun but i just get scared super easily so even when something's not scary i'm just like wow guys <laughs> i'm not gonna sleep for weeks She's, never, she actually does scared. say wow so. <laughs> and thank you for saying wow on the radio um <laughs> But yeah, I, I know it's been a, a, between this and I know The Witch as well as The Forest. It's it's been a solid year as far as quality work. Uh, not like the dumb teenager films of uh, of our youth here. Yes, uh, the other dude in the sh- stakes his head. He knows. Um, anyway, so that's that's opening. Also, um, apparently somebody needed a sequel to The Mechanic, uh, Jason Statham's sequel to the Charles ba- Bronson remake. Yeah, I saw the first one, and it's Mechanic Resurrection. I don't know if it took three days, but that's happening. Did you get blown up in the original? Um, well, in the Bronson version, yes. But in the remake, which uh, which had Jason Statham and Ben Foster, steady ladies, um, yeah, he, he survives because he's Jason Statham and it's the, and it's the 2000s. So, sorry. <laughs> thus, so maybe thus the rex- resurrection is in there so old movie nerds like us can say that and then be, be corrected. And then also in theaters is uh, Southside with You, which is a, a fictional account, apparently, of the first time Barack and Michelle met. And it's, been, it's actually been compared to uh, Before Sunrise, of, uh, of an 80-minute conversation between two young 20-somethings who uh, may or may not be falling in love. So that is out there as well. Okay. Um, a couple of titles on DVD and Blu-ray. New on Blu-ray this week is the film um I, I i guess folks have been saying it's it's been a very weak summer in your blockbuster season and uh since i missed most of the remakes and sequels uh no skin off my nose but i saw other things but of the big films my favorite film of the uh, of the blockbuster season is now out on dvd and blu-ray and it's uh, the nice guys with uh, ryan gosling and russell crowe 
and uh, Shane Black, of course, who made everything from Lethal Weapon to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang to Iron Man 3. Set in the 1970s, Los Angeles, Crow plays a uh, man for hire. Ryan Gosling gets to be funny again, uh, as if Crazy Stupid Love wasn't enough. We get some more of that. It actually gets to, he gets to do some physical comedy, which is really fun. As uh, two two guys, uh, he's a bumbling detective with a teenage daughter, and they're off to solve some crimes in 70s Los Angeles. Really fun chemistry between the two of them. Reminds me a lot of these 70s and early 80s buddy cop detective stories of my youth. Uh, that's definitely out there to check out. My 14-year-old daughter wants me to buy it immediately, and not <laughs> not just because of Mr. Gosling, although that has a lot to do with it. Um <laughs> Also, if you, I will say, uh, I'm not going to say this in mixed company, or at least because uh, I haven't checked any, everybody's ID, but you might want to have a couple of cocktails and adult supervision if you want to watch The Huntsman Winter's War. Um, <laughs> wow, everybody's wincing. Um, on the plus side, uh, there's no Kristen Stewart bogging the show down. <laughs> Uh, sky points from the cast here. That's good. Um, although you do have Emily Blunt not doing a whole heck of a lot, and that's a shame because if you have a Ferrari, you don't take it just to the end of the driveway and back. You have a lot of Charlize Theron vamping. And if anything else, you have Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain really, really trying to be Benedict and Beatrice in mm-hmm. a different story. That and that's so right. and that's kind of – you've seen this? Yeah, I saw it. Did it, you like it? Um, it was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to look at. See, I'm glad females also say that. It's yeah. it's a fun film to watch on mute. Yeah, I mean, Charlize Theron is gorgeous. You oh, can't go wrong. And she looks in a mirror, and she's just stunning. So that's nice. And the, <laughs> but we see her do that in perfume ads. So. That's true. Yeah, Accurate. but she's being evil, so it's a little different, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, it was visually stunning. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in my in my uh, imaginary all female security crew, yeah, Jessica Chastain and the Huntsman. Although her in Zero Dark Thirty is not bad either. So, anyway, that is out there. And if you're a fan of Greta Gerwig, there are not one but two of her films coming out in the same week. And uh, I tried looking for it at my local establishment. Yes, there are still video stores where I live. Don't judge. I go out and see people. All right, a clerk. But um, Maggie's Plan, which uh, looks like something that she would work on with Noah Baumbach, except it's with uh, director Rebecca Miller, yes, Arthur's uh, daughter. And uh, she plays a woman who has broken up a marriage between Ethan Hawke and Julianne Moore, and then she thinks Ethan Hawke is really insufferable to deal with. Ask Uma Thurman. And... um, (laughs) Hashtag real news. And then she tries to bring the couple back together. So that is out there, as well as the Todd Saladon's film Wiener Dog, the unofficial sequel to Welcome to the Dollhouse, um, which uh, I'll just say, you thank God you're never in middle school ever again after watching that. But this is the sequel to that. So uh, um, <laughs> you all right over there? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no junior high flashbacks. It's okay. Uh, although my daughter is entered, my daughter entered high school last week, and so oh, yeah. Oh gosh, so oh, high school's a whole other animal. That's a whole. That is a whole other animal. It's you know, it's uh, well, she she enjoys Mean Girls. She knows it's not a documentary. <laughs> uh, new old title out on Blu-ray, and actually, this has this is one that. Um, this came out in the summer of 88 for me. This is so I had just graduated high school. And this was the film that, along with A Fish Called Wanda, if I knew somebody who did not see it, I would drag them to the theater and go see it. And it's Midnight Run. Robert De Niro, back when he actually cared, um, and, and was able to do comedy even before Meet the Parents. But he plays a bounty hunter taking, trying to take Charles Grodin across the country on a bounty run. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It is one of the better buddy action films from the 80s and I think uh, a film like The Nice Guys owes a lot to something like Midnight Run so if you're in the the cinema history um, that is out there okay um, so we that's that's new new in theaters new on DVD but you should go to Fringe because you know the video stores and the movies are going to be there come Monday these folks aren't so um, I guess how did you ladies get involved with Spaghetti Western 3D because this is a lot of fun Yes, it is. We're all connected through the University of Evansville Department of Theater. So UE is a couple hours south of Indianapolis. So it was a nice local venue. And um, Mark, our playwright, is married to one of our professors at UE. And I actually did a show with him at the Fringe last year and had so much fun that I'm back for more. And it's been great so far it's been really lovely our director of the play actually sam shanwald he um 
gave us a very inspiring speech the first day of rehearsals and told us that the four of us were chosen because we were his muses. So that was very exciting. And um, our member of the cachet, she actually went to high school with Sam, and she goes to Rutgers now, right? Yeah, he called me just sort of out of the blue and was like, hey, do you want to be in a play that I'm directing? And I said, yes, of course I want to be in a play that you're directing. Um, So I packed up my stuff and headed on over to Evansville, and we rehearsed for what? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, it was yeah. Two weeks. Um, and now I'm here, and I'm so thankful to be here. It's been a really, really fun experience. So tell us a little bit about the story. Now, I, I guess before we get into the plot, I'm gonna I'm gonna go around the room. What was your spaghetti western knowledge before this? <laughs> N- <nil>. Not a lot. <laughs> My grandpa always had him on the TV, so I have these. You know, when you're little and you have very visual memories, but you're really not sure what was going on. It was interesting once I got cast in the show to go back and actually watch the movies and actually pay attention because they seemed so familiar. And yet I was like, oh, this is what this is about. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, my mom is a huge film buff and she worked in the film industry for a number of years and she still does off and on. Um, she actually lives in Austin right now and just got done working with South by Southwest um, as one of the theater runners for all the different films. And so I'd seen a bunch of old westerns, and I was very excited to be a part of this project when I found out exactly what it was. So. Cool. Good. I would say um, I grew up with him, of course. I'm of that age. So, yeah, I've become the dad and eventually <laughs> become the grandfather that watches those. Um, I mean, it's a, it is a term that has become a part of pop culture. And it's one of those things that, I mean, you know the, the theme from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, whether you've seen the film or not. Mm-hmm. It's semi-familiar. And one of my finest dad moments was my daughter was, I think, six. And this was when she was, you know, just knee-deep in Disney and uh, Nick Jr., those shows. And uh, she came down one Sunday morning and had watched, uh, I think it was Hannah Montana. And, of course, they did, <laughs> I think it was like, you know, a squirt gun fight that was done with the extreme close-ups and the harmonica whistling vocalization Morricone escore. And she said, this sounds like something you would watch. What is it? <laughs> and and I, I said, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And she goes, do you have it? And, yeah, I, I absolutely swelled up and went, you know, yes. <laughs> and and she said, can we, can we watch it? I said, Yes, and you know we got through like the first two thirds of it before my wife got up, and you know she took my she took my Morricone box set, my Leone box set, and took it to her room, and oh, wow. and watched has watched those and Once Upon a Time in the West. So anyway, the, the, there are those moments. So um, I guess I'd like to ask the, the the playwright how how did this come about as far as the script? It came about partly because I was here with Sammy Joe and others last year. We did a show called The Shout, and The Shout was, um, I guess the term in quotes would be a straight play. And after watching a number of the other fringe offerings, I was thinking, well, I'd love to come back, but maybe next time it would be fun to do something more ridiculous and more likely to involve audience participation and something that could mix dance and music and just be silly and rowdy and also something that would be easier to promote because with the shout we had a, a police costume which we couldn't wear on the street uh, but we I, I thought well with cowboy hats we could wear those on the street and people would get excited about that um, and I've always loved westerns so it seemed like it would be a sensible move to make fun of what I love so I wrote a script that was just this, essentially the story of Once Upon a Time in the West but shifted enough to to be played by four women and and the setup is not, their right? set, the setup is is an annual show, well well sort of and, and having come up with this original script, then my wife read it and she said, you know there are, there are some students who heard good things about the shout and heard good things about Indie Fringe as a festival, and they wanted to bring a show too, and they had been doing a cowboy rap yeah, that involved right. Sammy Joe playing a horse named was it. I it, don't know that my horse had a name. It had a name. It was Cherry Oh, jeez. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or, was, or America. You know, something like that. I did. I, uh, it was part of a 24-hour play festival, so the play was written and performed within 24 hours, and I played a cowgirl who turned into a horse and then rapped. It was a... It was an interesting 24 hours. It was great. <laughs> but because I knew that was happening, I, I then figured out with my wife that um, Sam, your classmate Sam and classmates Kit were interested in Westerns as well. So we sat them down and said, we're all kind of doing the same thing. We're all meditating on the same problem. 
what happens if we if we bring those things together. So they are the ones that provided the frame story for our Western, and that's why all four of my actors here are actually not who they say they are, because they're actually characters presenting a pageant, which is the story that we're telling, which starts to sound complicated, but I bet <laughs> if they introduced themselves in character very quickly, you would you would discover what fun it is. Oh, God, this is the part of the show where we get a... Let's, get, let's hear a clip. A clip? <laughs> like the beginning. beginning? Yeah. No. All right. Sure. Beginning? Hi, and welcome to the 47th annual Havelina Pageant. It's good to be here. It's great to be here. Now, who's joining us from out of town? She means from outside of Havelina. Oh, looks like a fair amount. A fair, fair amount. Ooh, foreigners. Oh, never mind her. <laughs> Greetings. Hi there. For those of you who don't know, today marks the Day of Days. The, the day, day of Days. Day. The Havelina Town Pageant happens one day a year on the anniversary of the release date of the first and only the very first and very only movie ever made about Havelina The, the Promised Land. Land or something like it Florence what is eating you now Okay we're supposed to have a cast of thousands or at least dozens but if we really really focus fours enough and we'll be working of course from the original script Flops heavy script Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy artist. <laughs> <laughs> Don't panic. We do a, a, what you call it? An abridgment. An abridgment. The 2014 update, which frankly is funnier, adds a lot of contemporary references. We perform on two conditions. Condition one. If your neighbor sneezes, say bless you. Condition two. If your neighbor sings, you sing along too. Trust me, Taffy does not take no for an answer. Uh-uh. So now, celebrating 47 years of our famous town with the finest... Boozing, cruising, bleeding, sweating, running, soaring, living, dying, brewing, boiling, searching, converging, dashing, charming, exciting, rewarding, shoe spinning, <laughs> glory chasing, folks of Havelina. And scene. <laughs> and then what happens is is the is a Western story, like you said, is very similar to Once Upon a Time in the West. And um Things happen. I guess a, a good way to a, a good way of describing the the performance tone is loose. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 <laughs> loose much. is necessary. Yeah, because because things happen and things land in the different places, and you just yes. kind of bounce. And so I guess how how long was the rehearsal process? Because one, I think obviously you guys have it down backwards and forwards, so you are ready to have a loose feel when it's out there up and flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something I said in our, we had a two week roughly rehearsal process and I marveled at how difficult it is to work really hard to make something that is supposed to be bad, in quotation marks, actually good and mm-hmm. to be good at being bad so it's still entertaining. Thank you Florence Foster the- Jenkins. Yes. It's <laughs> like there's still so much passion there from these four women and that's what mm-hmm. makes it like the the good and bad like it's their and passion ugly. that drives it. Oh. There it is. Boom, boom. But yeah, it's really the passion that drives it and that's what makes them just so high energy and bah. How'd that go again? Va? Va. V-A-A-A-A-H. And like they say in the beginning, there's only four of them that are trying to put on this movie that has a relatively large cast. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of running and scrambling. Yeah. And, and things flying and, and landing. Lots of sweating. Yeah. Lots, lots of my God. Lots and lots of sweating. Have you sweat on the audience yet? I've spit on them. I've I spit think on them. Did you really? Zone. Oh yeah, I definitely need a splash zone. Because they're very close. the The front row is right. Yes, there. it is. Oh, yeah. So if you're really articulating, which you should, you get a little. You spit talking on the light, talking you know, light drizzle. Whiskey out, and you know you <laughs> might get hit. Yeah. Well, fortunately, ladies, and gentlemen, just there's no chaw involved in the show, so it's a little. No. Yeah, there, there's your revisionist western right there. It's the old west, but nobody's nobody's got a big thing to plug a red man in. Don't look it up. Um, so yeah, so there is that the element of recognizing the western. Uh, I, and this obviously is one I know. The more the more westerns you know, especially the spaghetti westerns, the the more enjoyable I think it is. But on the flip side, you you don't have to know Sergio Leone from Sergio Carbucci. Thank you, Django. Um, to know the difference between those guys, to enjoy the to enjoy the cliches, the characters, the moments, as well as as four ladies just 
sweating bullets, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Oh, um, yeah. Not so much, but anyway, and 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 watching this loose fun show happen. So I guess um, so. Obviously, it was Once Upon a Time in the West required viewing? Oh yes, yes. Oh, yes. the first one we watched. That was. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's a, you see, it was. <laughs> I get it. I well, especially when the story is based on that. So. Um, Again, these are these are young people with twos in their age, and I am not. Did you know any of the cast before going in? Because that happens as time goes on. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll give an example. There, um, I've explained, I've tried to explain to students and and younger folks the oh my god, it's Henry Fonda shot. Oh, yeah. Because you know, here's a man who's played Lincoln. He's played everybody. You know, kind of the, kind of the all American dad, um, even with his kids. And uh, and the fact that he got to play a villain and that great opening shot of him uh, about ready to gun down a 10-year-old kid just really <laughs> set people off in 1968. I can imagine. <laughs> so I guess, did you know about Charles Bronson, Jason Robards, Claudia Cardinal before this? Mark was responsible for educating us. Yes, on that's very true. Name, since there are so many references in this play. Um, but definitely <laughs> just... From Westerns in general, Clint Eastwood was specifically... That was about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the inspiration for my character, El Diablo. So I went from sweet little Luna to El Diablo. <laughs> and, it was... and say about six words all day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> the one with no name. I was pleasantly surprised to find Bob Dylan in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I had no idea. It was yeah. so exciting. Yeah. I was Okay, so you guys watch... You, you watch Pat Garrett as well? Yes. Mark specifically told me that... Death scene with knock knock knocking on heaven's door to check that one out. Yeah. So I watched the whole movie and was actually a little bit shocked at how much I thoroughly enjoyed it. Was that your first Peckinpah film? It was. Really? Yeah. Wow. See, of course, I would. I know I was uh, the Wild Bunch, but no, that's 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 pretty good as well. Director's cut, the restored version. Whatever they have on iTunes. <laughs> okay, because that no, there's a there's a great story behind it. Because by that time in Peck and Paw's career, watch Uncle Matt gather around. Um, but no, it. Um, but uh, the studio had clashed with Peck and Paw um, over that film, and he kind of lost. I think he was fired during the editing, oh, wow. and then about ten years ago, I believe they put a restored director's cut out on DVD. So, and yeah, Bob Dylan got a soundtrack out of it. There's also a fun book if you ever find it. It's called uh, the Golden Turkey Awards, written by Michael and uh, Michael Medved and his brother. Um, this is before he became bat spit crazy, I believe. But one of the categories was worst performance by a popular singer, and and Dylan was nominated. Oh, <laughs> he didn't win, quote unquote. But uh, he deserved to be nominated. His character in that film is called Anonymous. A, uh, actually, Alias. Put him in. Alias, my friend. <laughs> I watched this oh, movie. But the sad part was that he was in the movie primarily because he was buddying up to Peckinpah and vice versa. I think they both wanted to rub off on each other's stardom. And Peckinpah yeah. had no place for him. The script already existed. There was no character in the original script called Alias. Oh. Uh, exactly. So he was hanging around back. and lurking and playing guitar. And well, it worked there. on me. I was charmed. <laughs> okay. I would say, going back, I guess, go back a little bit to uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I would say, did you watch any Westerns before that? I mean, before involving this? And then your thoughts on Once Upon a Time in the West? Anybody? I, I mean, my knowledge of the Western genre was pretty much nothing. Um, and I watched Once Upon a Time in the West as my first sort of intro into the show because they said to watch it and, you know. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I mean, for the first couple of minutes I was kind of chuckling to myself like, this is so over the top and weird. But, Although, though the big, like, yeah, the big train scene with Woody Strode and Jackie yes, Lim, yeah. exactly. But then the music kicked in and I really found myself getting swept up in it. And I don't know, like all of these characters and their the really close-up shots and the really tiny motions especially that scene with the fly on his face oh my gosh and then into the barrel yeah it killed me and i was also just very charmed about of um claudia claudia cardinal and she you know it's in the old western genre but she's so 60s 
with her really dark makeup and her huge <laughs> yeah, eyelashes. And, that happens. Oh, but she's so stunning, and I just, I really ended up loving every second of it. Another Western that she is in, if you get a chance, because now I'm just going to tell you, you, you just start writing these down, but yeah. from 1966, The Professionals. Yes, Mark's nodding because we're old. Um, Lee Marvin and uh, Woody Strode is in that as well. But yeah, she is also stunning. You talk about 60s fashion. Um, if you get a chance, the original True Grit with uh, John um, Wayne. I have seen that. Okay. Seen that one. Well, on the DVD comment, there's a commentary, and it's and there's I can't remember. It was somebody who was a, uh, a you know very knowledgeable of westerns, and somebody who's very knowledgeable about western culture. And Glenn Campbell's first entrance, you hear the guy go, "Yeah, that's a western haircut." <laughs> <laughs> that happens from time to time. Yeah. You know, or, yeah. The the the, the era kind of comes out in fashion. Um, Cool. That so I I love the fact that that was your first western. Once upon a time yeah. in the west. Yeah. I loved it though. Yeah, that was kind of where I was kind of on the same boat as Shay as well, and oh my, you mentioned that fly because that opening scene. I I was hooked from that opening scene because there's just no talking, and it's just showing them like the water dripping onto his hat, and then that fly on his face. And it's just minutes before he realizes he can just, like, use his hand and swat it. And he's just doing these, like, face twitches, which I've tried to do in the show. Just, like, those, like, really over-the-top, like, mouth-twitching, eye-twitching That faces. explains that. So so you were many hours in front of a mirror at home? Yeah, because I love the physical life of that movie. And that's why this show is very enjoyable for, I think, all of us is the physicalness of it. The very physical, loud humor which, like, if you're into that, this show is totally for you because it is just big and over-the-top and fun. And I, like, when I watch that movie, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting so much from this right now. And I was really excited to I have put to send, it on its feet. I have to send a note to my my friend Gail. I, uh, I uh, when I was in college, I did a, new, a research paper on the Westerns of Clint Eastwood. This was, mm-hmm. it was the semester that Unforgiven had come in, had come out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the, one of the things my, my dear friend Gail says, and I talked to her this, this past week about your show. And it was like, we watched, um, I watched High Plains Drifter. And the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, of course, she said the same thing within the first 10 minutes. They're not saying anything. Yeah. It's such a great setup, though. That I don't know. I was so, like, on the edge of my seat, and I'm like, what is going on? Something's going to happen. Now, the tri- here's another piece of trivia. Originally, for that scene, Sergio Leone wanted Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach. To be at the beginning, and and apparently they said no, we don't. And part of it, and, and and it was it would you know what Leone had in mind was it was his way to close the book on the good, the bad, and the ugly, and move on to uh, to Once Upon a Time in the West. So um, I said, what other cinematic research was done? Um, I, on a less spaghetti western note, I really really love the movie Tombstone. And yeah, that was one of those movies that I often quoted. It's very, very and it was also on cable like a lot. Oh yeah, I watched it all the time as a kid. And uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was also one of those that I watched a lot. And I watched a lot of Clint Eastwood clips and movies to get the silent swagger that he has. But I also took a lot of that from Tombstone and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So yeah, was... you were trying to spin a cup in your finger, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying was the key word. Exactly. <laughs> um, Say, so, yeah, there, there's a couple moments in the show, the, the slow motion violence, which is a nice homage oh. to Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> and I'm saying, and if you if you if you liked Pat Garrett and the Billy Billy the Kid, I think The Wild Bunch is his masterpiece. I mean, it's a uh, you know, he uh, he often goes. What Peckinpah would do was, you know, the end uh, the end of the old West, which he addresses in that in Ballad of Cable Hogue. Um, or a, a, another common theme that he often does is um, the gang with one last job. I mean, and we've and that that is a, that is an action cliche now. You know, Eastwood people say Eastwood with Dirty Harry made the the urban western with 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 the cop films, and and that has become you know the the one last job has been done to death since then. And uh, and I think Peck and Baugh does that with the Wild Bunch. There's a one of his early films, if you get a chance, is called Ride the High Country with uh, Joel McRae and Randolph Scott, who were huge in the first half of the 20th century as aging outlaws, um, you know, out to do one last job. Um, so anyway, the, the slow motion violence is great mm-hmm. on that. Um, this past week, because of you ladies, I went and revisited um, High Plains Drifter, which... In in Eastwood's Western canon, 
you know, he had already done the Spaghetti Westerns. He had done a couple of Westerns in Hollywood, Hang Em High, Joe Kidd. But this was his first Western that he got to direct. And there is a lot of the... Um, there's a lot of the spaghetti western aspects to it because he is the title character and he's hired by a town to go after uh, to help protect the town against three outlaws who are going to be coming back into town. So I, it's it's a little bit it's, it's I called it high noon goes to hell. <laughs> and and as the film goes on, we found out that they had a marshal who was whipped to death by these three outlaws, and Eastwood's character may or may not be the ghost of the the sheriff who was whipped to death and. Anyway, subtle. <laughs> um, and then following that was uh, The Outlaw Josie Wales, which um, he took over for directing, and it looks like a John Ford film. It's gorgeous, mm-hmm. but it's also about his loss. His family, his uh, wife and child are murdered at the beginning. It's the end of the Civil War, and he's trying to find the uh, the guys who, who went after. you know. He, and along the way, he winds up developing a family of his own, this kind of family of misfits, even though he wants to be the man with no name and want to be left alone. But he's got another family that he has to depend on. Um, but so there, there was that. I'm babbling. Thank you. Um, <laughs> welcome to Lecture Sociology. Um, and then, of course, Unforgiven, I think, is his masterpiece. Um, you know, that's another version of the I ain't like that anymore. I'm just going to do one last job and call it a day. And uh, and he does. And, well, it's, it is one of those films that revenge is not what it's all cut out to be. What is your favorite Clint Eastwood film? <sighs> I know. It's hard. See... <laughs> I I would say from a directing from a directing standpoint, he's made two masterpieces, and it's nice to have more than one. That's Unforgiven oh, okay. and Mystic River. Oh, okay. um, Mystic River, yeah. And I saw that when my daughter was like a year old, which is real fun as a dad. Oh, within wow. within like two weeks, I saw that, and I saw Thirteen. Oh, yeah. Thanks. God. So yeah, I was a Ouch. blubbering mess. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I think from those, from that, I think those are his, those are his greatest. And, and the first Dirty Harry, you know, directed by Don Siegel, I think is great. And the Spaghetti Westerns yeah, are great. I so. really do love Dirty Harry. Like, yeah, that was what, is, what is your favorite since you asked? Oh, gosh. Oh, maybe Dirty Harry. That was one of those that I really did reference while we were kind of just working on this. Because we had six-hour rehearsals, so it was two weeks straight, but it was six hours each day. So we worked long and hard, but as soon as we went home, it was back to research. It was back to watching movies, mm-hmm. and I watched a lot of clips from Dirty Harry, and it's yeah, it's it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I think it's... I'm so excited to sort of delve more into this genre because there's something, for mm-hmm. some reason, in our generation, those movies just aren't really seen anymore, I feel like, other than the the remake of True Grit, which came out in twenty ten or something like that, Come, yeah. something like that. And yeah. I, I say, do you guys see it? Did you? Yeah, want yeah it? I did see it. Did yes. you like it? Yeah, I yeah. liked it. See, I did. This is one of those, uh, and I know old people are going to get mad at me. This is one of those moments where I think the remake is better than the original. I, yeah, no disrespect toward John Wayne, and I know he won Best Actor and all that, sure. but it's really the John Wayne show. <laughs> it re- really is. I mean, uh, and so the fact that it's it's closer to the material of the book, and again, it's not book sociology, it's film sociology. But anyway, the, the but he got the off humor. He got some of the dark humor that you really couldn't get away with doing in a John Wayne film. Mm-hmm. And and Haley Steinfeld is more fun to bounce off of than Kim Darby. You know, yeah, she did she a really good so job. Amazing. In fact, I would even say that Rooster Cogburn is better than True Grit because he gets to bounce off Catherine Hepburn as opposed to Kim Darby. And she's, you know, she's fine, but she's no Kate Hepburn. So, uh, but yeah, I think I think True Grit. And it's funny because he he has uh, Jeff Bridges has a lot of his Cogburn esque vocals in Hell or High Water. <laughs> but when you're him and you're cool, you you can you can borrow that voice and use it again. So yeah. I want more. I want more <laughs> mm-hmm. to happen. I don't. I don't know why that genre isn't looked at so much anymore. But I'm, I, I kind of miss it, and I want to see more of it. Well, there's plenty of it out there. You just got to go to your local library, Netflix, Redbox. <laughs> no, not Redbox. Don't do that. That's um, <laughs> a nightmare. Yeah, I know. I would say, um, did you guys watch any John Wayne to prepare for this? I've definitely seen some mm-hmm. just in passing, mm-hmm. um, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I don't think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say go ahead, come on in, well, playwright in residence. A homework list. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, really? About two, three months before we got going, and I suggested a number of westerns that I thought might be helpful, but I was I was careful because some of them don't age that well, and I hate to say that because I love the genre, but some of them really don't. No, it's, you're, move you're right. Smoothly into the 21st century, I, I would actually argue that High Plains Drifter is one of those. Yeah, there's. Um, 
I'm, that's I'm a, a delicate subject. I know. I'm in, a, I'm, in a studio, I'm in a studio full of ladies, and there's a moment you're just going to go, not cool. Yeah. And, not and what cool was at all. even then? But. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, sent, I sent them a list where I tried to break it down into these are actually spaghetti westerns, and these are the things that I'm referencing as we work on this project. Mm-hmm. And then I said, here are some other westerns that are actually really quite good. Here are some that are fun, things like Silverado. Oh but, yeah, but not necessarily, but in no way important. Silverado isn't breaking ground or doing something, I don't know, historically useful. Because there but were it's only a riot to see. There were only oh, yeah. two westerns in the eighties. It was that and Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider, which was kind of his version of Shane. Um, it's with, got, right, with, it's got a good scene with Hickory. Yes, it does, and Richard Keel, for that matter, and Richard Keel. So, um, yeah, Silverado's fun. I would say if, if with John Wayne, The Searchers, I think is a great one to start. Red River, to a certain degree, mm. even The Shootist, which was the guy who directed Dirty Harry, Don Siegel. Um, that was John Wayne's last film. I also, yeah, you're, you're talking about aging. Some films aging better than others. I think by the mid to late sixties. There were John Wayne worked better when he had somebody of equal acting ability to bounce off of. If you go through his filmography, there's a lot of singers and a lot of his kids <laughs> in the films. And bouncing off of uh, Robert Mitchum in El Dorado or uh, Kirk, uh, Kirk Douglas in The War Wagon or Catherine Hepburn in Rooster Cogburn, that's more fun than, say, Cahill, United States Marshal or th- something like that. Agreed. Or you could sign him up with someone like Arthur Honeycutt, who's uh, you know just a, as a character actor, you can't look away from him. And Wayne doesn't have to carry the film when someone like that is on the screen with him. Right. And then um, little trivia, one of the actors who turned down Dirty Harry was John Wayne. Yeah. And, uh, well, it was too violent, uh, a lot of gray area. That's the other thing. As you'll see, you know, you, as you've done research on this, um, the gray hats are more interesting than the black or the white hats. <laughs> and so there's a lot of gray. So the fact that he turned that down, I think Paul Newman turned it down, Frank Sinatra turned it down. Um, and then because of the success of that, John Wayne wound up making two modern cop films. <laughs> One was called McHugh from 73. 374, I think. And that one is noted, at least in in the stunt world, there's a car, there's a car uh, stunt that uh, the car flips nine times. Yes, I am also the one that shows the the child, you know, real stunts done by real stunt people, (laughs) not your Fast and Furious green screen stuff. But um, yeah, this was a really cool stunt on a beach. And there's one called Branigan, which is it's okay. Uh, where he's in England going after it's kind of his his version of uh, Coogan's Bluff, I think, of a of a, a guy a fish out of pond, fish out of water story. So, um, yeah. So those those are worth checking out. I think uh, I'm a big John Ford fa- Ford fan. So the original Stagecoach is a lot of fun. Um, you'll see some of those stock characters, um, and uh, anyway. So yeah, so you, you got those. So. I have to say one of the funniest things about working on, on this script was I got all the way to the end, and we'd already cast it, and we'd done a first reading. And we got to the end, and Diane said, so there are no cowboys in this. Diane's my, our, our, I don't know, former professor, my wife, dramaturg. So Extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> Extraordinaire. <laughs> but we got to the end of this, and she said, there are no cowboys in here. Why are we talking about cowboys? Why are they wearing cowboy hats? But if you look back at Spaghetti Westerns, that was where the Western genre turned away from cowboys as as heroes or anti-heroes and went to outlaws and gunslingers. Mm-hmm. And from there on, you know, almost everything you've just discussed, all these Clint Eastwood characters, even John Wayne and the Shootist, they have no function other than their skill with a gun. And so that's really what we're riffing on when we do Spaghetti Western 3D. Everybody's got a gun at some point, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's no, what I, we, I don't actually. Uh, you never have a gun? I never touch a gun. But Shay's she has, but she has a bar glass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't you, die. You have a bar glass, and you're not afraid to use it. That's true. I was going to yes. give Jesse a gun up in the booth uh, as stage <laughs> manager to, just to keep everybody in line. <laughs> well, I feel like I have a many different like standing points that I've walked from in this production. Yes. I'm not very familiar with westerns, but I have gotten some experience with cowboys. I worked for a farrier for a while, and he um, he is like your typical cowboy. I I told everyone his saying. It's a little interesting, but he's like, never do on foot what you could do on a horse. Every time we go riding, like trail riding. That's a Cat Baloo line, kind of. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, like probably about 
five to ten minutes after, he'll be like, well, you know, the inside or the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. Just when you get a little, hmm. but <laughs> it's his idea, like this horse culture. So I've I've gotten a taste of that and coming into this world where it's Western outlaws and gunslingers. It's been really intriguing because I, I haven't watched many. My dad, uh, we always joked he would watch Sleepless in Seattle when he wanted to take a nap or a Western <laughs> movie because they were all the same. And so he never felt like he was missing anything. And oh, 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 so, so when, you, when you play this podcast to him, start telling him to write down these titles. I know. Well, the really sad thing is um, I got him this like pack, just one of those things you get at the store where it's like, oh, the 10 greatest. Yes. They always have yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it's still sadly unopened. Oh, I'm like, oh so yeah. you need to open and that. So and so now I'm get... like, I really want to go home and steal it from him and <laughs> start watching them all because it's really fun to get to sit in the booth. And since I wasn't in the rehearsal process, I wasn't really introduced to the idea of watching any of these or talking about the references. And so it's fun to sit in the booth and be a part of it, but also hear the laughs from these jokes. And I'm like, I don't know these jokes, but I'm like, I really want to. And so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I heard. I, apparently, I was the only one at the performance I was at. That there's a reference to the Bruce Springsteen album "Darkness on the Edge of Town," which <laughs> I laughed at no end. And yes, there there is also an America reference. Speaking of stuff that puts you to sleep, uh, Ooh. that'd be America the band. Yeah, America the band. Oh yes, you have. I know it's election season. Um, <laughs> the other thing, I, I guess, the other one to bring up, if you get a chance, if you like Sergio Leone, if you want a, if you want a, a lower budget Sergio Leone, that's Sergio. Carbucci, who mm-hmm. did the original Django, not mm-hmm. Django Unchained. Although Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, uh, you might want to take a nap afterwards. That's the it's it's. I love them both. I love Quentin films. They're also exhausting. They are really. Django flew by for me, but Hateful Eight. Oh man, Hateful Eight was the first Quentin Tarantino film I got to take my daughter to in the theater. Because she was under uh, adult supervision at home. Oh, <laughs> Hashtag man. family values. Uh, well, we had a thing. So, um, how, how old is she? She's 14. Oh, man. Her first Tarantino film, she was 10. That's now, now to, 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 my, to my defense, she has seen her mother do Hamlet, King Lear, and she saw Macbeth. She's oh, okay. That's so cool. Yeah, she's okay. Yeah. So, She'll be fine. But we, we, had, the, the we had the moment <laughs> of. Um, she wanted to see a midnight movie, and I said, "Well, you need to watch a midnight movie at home, so I know you don't fall asleep. I don't want to look at twelve thirty, and I'm paying ten bucks for my kid to take a nap." So <laughs> one time, she finally said, "About eleven forty-five, she said, Dad, I want to take a midnight movie test.'" And I said, "Great, pick out a movie." She picked out Pulp Fiction. Oh. And so at two forty-five in the morning, we get done, and she goes, uh, "I said, did you like it?" And she's like, "Yeah." And then she stands up and she goes, "Walk me through it." <laughs> and so we walked through it chronologically mm-hmm. so she could and so yeah then movie. like like it sounds like with you ladies you get a taste of it and then you're like I want I want more of this I want to see what this is like so mm-hmm. yeah she she really liked Django the other funny bit was now the original the Sergio Carbucci Django um instead of the dust and the heat it was cold and snow and mud, which you know got a little bit of the of the hateful eight, but the mm-hmm. star of the original Django because there are a thousand Django knockoffs, but the original star is Franco Nero, who was a big star in Italy and he became a star here in the states, and it's it's amazing what a film career and what you get introduced to by somebody. And uh, my my wife knew Franco Nero because he played Lancelot in the film version of Camelot. With oh, those wow. other great singers, Vanessa Redgrave and Richard Harris. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. And, well, the, no, the big one was, of course, um, her, uh, Franco Nero and Vanessa Redgrave were a couple. They were reunited on screen in Letters to Juliet. Oh. That, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've that, seen that one. That, yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, the old guy on the horse. That's Franco Nero. So, <laughs> huh. see, this how is funny. how the power film works. So. <laughs> And then, so the Sergio, yeah, the other Carbucci one, if you get a chance, and it's, this is more of a, but um, uh, there's a film called Navajo Joe with Burt Reynolds in a really bad 
uh, Natalie Wood looking wig. Um, he's an Indian, a Native American who is going after, you know, goes for revenge and uh, finds very elaborate ways of killing his foes, whether it's dynamite or an axe or, you know, because uh, a gun's apparently not enough for Sergio Carbucci. Can I tell a Burt Reynolds story? Oh, please do. When I lived in, in Los Angeles and worked in the film industry, I was also having to work in a bookstore to put food on the table. So I worked at Crown Books at the bottom of Laurel Canyon. And Burt Reynolds was a regular customer, and he would come in. This was pretty late in his career. He always had his toupee in place. <laughs> Since one, 1970 or b- at, before. Or maybe even earlier. From yeah. Birth. So the poor guy comes <laughs> in. He came in. He bought a bunch of books. He loved to read. And he bought a bunch of books, and he headed out into the parking garage where he was mugged. And oh, my he gosh. Was, they not only took his wallet and the books he just bought. <gasps> you can guess, right? No. They stole his toupee. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So he came. Did he come back in? Did you he help? Did not come back in. We actually didn't know about it till the next day, and then of course it was all over the news. Wow! But it was our little store that he was shopping at. Oh man! So what'd you do with the hairpiece? <laughs> well, I can sell it to you, or you can sell, or you can send it to Mark Summers. But that's another time. Don't worry about that. So okay, you know what? Um, I, I, I should bring this up. This is the ladies have brought instruments. So oh, I think gosh. we're, we're going to – are you ready for this? So we're going to take a small break. Well, I know we're, we got less than 10 minutes to go on the show. But when we come back after the break, and you're going to appreciate the break music, um, <laughs> we're going to get a musical sampling from Spaghetti Western 3D, which is happening as a part of Indie Fringe. So hold on. This is going to be something. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msoc at WFYI.org. Also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Soce. Um, got We have musical guests in a little bit. It's like The Tonight Show. Uh, but I just want to remind folks of... Uh, Elsie and Francis and the Fairies is happening Saturday night at 9 o'clock and Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. on the main stage at the Phoenix. And then the shows for Spaghetti Western 3D are happening when and where. Or you're going to have me read it. Okay. Um, Let's see. 4.30 on Saturday and 3 p.m. on Sunday in the Indy 11 Theater, which is 719 East St. Clair Street. Now, um... Before, during the break, of course, that's the music of Cheyenne, Jason Robards theme music from Once Upon a Time in the West by God's composer, Enyo, oh, I'm sorry, Academy Award winner, finally, <laughs> Enyo Morricone. And uh, so anyway, the ladies are here from uh, Spaghetti Western 3D, and they have their instruments. So what are you, what are you ladies going to play for us right now? We're <laughs> scooting up to where the mic is. We're going to play a pre-show song, and it's called Roll On. Okay, here we go. Last night as I lay on the prairie And looked at the stars in the sky I wondered if ever a cowboy Would drift to that sweet vibe 
Nicely done. <laughs> in the actual show, we have some original songs from Kit Bulla, our, what is he? It's our, our mu- music supervisor. He's our composer. He's, our our, musical he's director. everything. And we also have um, some older cowboy songs like that one. So uh, and, and that, a, that people like, I don't know, Gene Autry and so on probably sang. Uh, the sing- yeah, the singing cowboys of, uh, yeah, Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, those uh, the old serials of the day. And, and you also do a version of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly theme that's... Sure do. Oh, yes. We absolutely do. You're not doing that here. Not even, if, <laughs> even if it were pledge drive, I wouldn't... Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of like stomping and clapping and sing-along kind of deal. And vocalization one. and yeah. Yeah, all yeah. that. So, okay, with that in mind, I want to share this with you, with you, with you folks a little bit. But uh, this, is from a, uh, this is from a collection called We All Love Ennio Morricone. And it's, um, it's a, a tribute album that has everybody from... Uh, Chris Chris Bode, uh, Quincy Jones, Yo-Yo Ma, Metallica, Bruce Springsteen, Roger Waters. But I want to play a little bit of this. This is uh, Herbie Hancock with Quincy Jones doing the theme from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Check this out. Yeah, they're all dancing along to this. It's it's really really cool. So this is another one from this. This is a uh, this is Bruce Springsteen doing the theme from Once Upon a Time in the West. So a little bit of that. This, yeah, Springsteen doing Morricone. And if you get a chance, his song Outlaw Pete from uh, one of his albums, is, it's a there's a harmonica homage to uh, Charles Bronson in that. So anyway, ladies, it has been so fun hanging with you. Um, anytime I can get college students into Spaghetti Westerns, that's you, you've just made the world that much better. So, <laughs> I'm so excited so, about it. Cool. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. Awesome. So just a reminder, uh, Saturday at 4.30 p.m., Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Indy 11 Theater, and uh, just go see it. It's a lot of fun. And now you'll have plenty of Westerns to watch till you're dying a day. So. Yes, indeed. All right. So thanks for hanging out, ladies. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, go see a good movie. You deserve it. But first, here's some final words. Silent Green is people! Zardoz has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. And go check out Elsie and Francis and the Fairies and Spaghetti Western 3D. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. <laughs>